0: most people think is like oh the work-life balance doesn't sound so so good but to me this is uh, this is my life and that is it is now something that i I could i could do forever
1: (laughs) this is the producers i'm anthony huckstep after years plying his trade as a chef james zarella needed a change but wanted to continue to make a difference in the food industry it led him to the land where he is part owner of Gardner's Bay Farm in southern Tasmania.
0: Yeah, so my name is uh, James Zarela. Um Most people just call me Jim. And uh, the farm that we're working at is Gardner's Bay Farm in Gardner's Bay in southern Tasmania. So it's about uh, 10 minutes outside of Signet or 40, 45 minutes out of Hobart. I think the the region itself is great mainly for the people. I feel like the community itself is the the main reason why the region is best for for us. It's um it's filled with a lot of like-minded people that really sort of want to eat and have and be around, you know, good produce and things like this. Um I mean, you can sort of farm really anywhere in the world depending on climate and soil and improve your soil health depending how you need to and farm depending on your climate and what products you want to you want to grow but um for us here in in southern tas and and sort of greater out the the people of tasmania and the community that we're around in gardeners bay is definitely the reason what makes this region stand out for us we're a cl- cooler climate, obviously. Um, so a lot of things that we're growing over the sort of winter time is silver beets and kales and um, things things of that nature. At the moment, um, we've got tomatoes in the ground, um, which we do mostly in tunnels and a few outside. Uh, cucumbers, we only do in the tunnels. They don't really do so well outside in, in the cold. Um, once it sort of starts to heat up, we do have problems with... Um, brassica moths or cabbage moths. So they um, they sort of tend to, to move in. So we steer clear of more brassica style things in the summertime and go towards more like zucchinis and um, and tomatoes and, and things of that nature, squashes and pumpkins and stuff like that.
1: For the first two decades of his career, James rose the ranks in commercial kitchens.
0: Uh, before farming, I was actually a chef. So for, for many, many years, probably uh, 15 to 17 years, it was uh, my first job out of out of high school and um, even during high school it was something that I that I did a little couple of courses on um, when I was getting in trouble and having to <laughs> to do stuff uh, so I did, did a few of that and then gravitated towards this basically straight out of school didn't didn't finish really year 10 and then started an apprenticeship and and went from there and, and yeah chefing has been basically what I've been doing here in Australia and overseas up until about four years ago so most, most of my career was working in South Australia, um, in Adelaide. So I worked um, at a few different styles of restaurants, um, starting from you know a pizza restaurant to a little small Italian place that was about 35-seater or something, um, and then moved to a bigger sort of tapas-style restaurant uh, that was around about 250 to 300-seater, um, and then from there moved into French Fine Dining, which is um, where I met uh, Lachlan. Um, and started my apprenticeship or continued my apprenticeship there with him in the, in the early days of, of the Mance restaurant. And then once sort of Hentley Farm and, and those sort of things were, were happening on the, on the sideline with him, he sort of asked if I wanted to continue my apprenticeship there. And from that, I moved up to, to Sous Chef along the years and stayed there for about seven seven years or so. And then um, left from there, and decided that I wanted to do something a bit a bit more different, and did a, a different style of restaurant. Um, again, as a sous chef with a with a friend of mine, which was a, a native Australian yum cha style restaurant, which sounds a bit a bit crazy, um, which we took uh, a lot of native and foraged ingredients and stuff that I was also just growing out of my backyard and um, did smaller style plates and it was served in a, a yum cha style format, which was a pretty crazy thing to do in, in Adelaide, but um, for about a year or so it worked, which was great. And yeah, I met my, my wife there, actually. She was um, she was working there and she was studying in Adelaide through the time. She's from from Germany and her sort of visa was ending up, and the restaurant was sort of because we were on um we were on a sort of like a, a a lease from the the council. So the lease was paid for by the council. It was like a renew Adelaide program that it was called. So the the owners of the building or the owner of the restaurant um got a got this lease for free for the first twelve months, uh, and so the restaurant was really only there for that twelve months because the the rent on the place was astronomical. Um, so as that was sort of finishing up, um. Yeah, Marie, which is my wife, um, uh, she had to go back to Germany and sort of went, well, yeah, I've got nothing on the card, so why not? So I moved to Germany with her. This was after only knowing knowing her for around about six or seven months and, yeah, just decided to sort of pack everything up and uh, move to Germany.
1: In love and on a whim, James decided to head to Germany and Austria to continue life. In the kitchen.
0: There's a few sort of crazy restaurants that I worked at, um, and then uh, I did a lot of work in in Austria mainly because we stayed in Germany for for about a year and a half, and then uh, moved to Austria. My wife was studying analogy, um, and then I sort of was working in restaurants, and that was sort of my visa. So some of the, I mean, they're all they're all pretty crazy in their own right. A few Michelin star restaurants where the chefs go a little bit too crazy in the in the head and stuff like this. But I think one of the Probably one of the more crazy ones was um, the fact that I was working in a, in a restaurant uh, called Constantine Philippo, which is in in the heart of Vienna, um, and I was doing doing a few weeks there and trying to organise a visa to to then move to to Austria a bit more permanently. Um, and I was working in the back kitchen with a girl, and and we were just talking. She so said she was from Australia as well and it was funny because she said that the reason why she got into cooking was she went to a restaurant that she knew me at which was Hentley Farm and we sort of served her the dishes and the chefs came out and it sort of inspired her to to do her apprenticeship and then do like stages around around Europe and things like this and I thought that was a a pretty crazy small world thing to happen in the back of a Michelin star restaurant that I've, you know I and the team that I was working with at the time was one of the one of the reasons why this girl would started her journey which is
1: kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. With a mind to move back to Australia, a connection with chef Lachlan Colwell lured James to Tasmania.
0: Um, well Marie, my wife had been travelling around Australia before and we were in uh, we were in Germany for a little bit in Geisenheim while she was doing her studies and this was all when COVID was was really hard, especially in Europe it was definitely a lot more intense than, than in Australia. There was a lot more restrictions. Um, I couldn't work for probably about a year on end. Um, so there was really nothing that you could kind of do. You could go for a walk around the place, like around your neighborhood and that was kind of it. So um, I was talking to, to Lachlan a bit and he had just moved here and he was telling me a bit about the place and um, Marie had been traveling around Tasmania and she sort of said at one stage, that Tasmania would probably be the only place in Australia that if she decided to move or we decided to move back that we would that we would go and live and um, Locke and I stayed in contact for quite quite a while we could still still talk to each other quite regularly um, and he was talking about Tasmania and this beautiful place and he was um, living at this at this house that had uh, a sort of small market garden set up in in their backyard, and um, he was sort of in my ear like, "Oh, you should come and run this market garden," because we did little projects like this back at Henley Farm, and I uh, did more sort of projects when I was doing the the other restaurant, the Henry Austin, um, where I would just grow food in my backyard. So farming, it's been something for me that I sort of had as a hobby, but it was definitely something that I would that I was liking to more gravitate towards, and when. Um, when he was talking about this and I was like, oh, I can't really at the moment, you know, it's hard to travel, we can't go anywhere. I was pretty um, set with my visa and stuff like this. And then, you know, it just kept on getting worse with everything that was happening during COVID. And I was getting sort of a bit depressed being stuck inside, not being, you know, around anybody really that I knew or, you know, family and stuff like this and, you know, pandemic sort of situation. And um, yeah, Tasmania just kept on getting, you know, that little bit more promising and promising and, Then Lockton was telling me about the the port city cannery when he first started there and the farm that's next door and all this sort of stuff. And sort of um, spoke spoke to my wife and we sort of were talking and I said, look, I, I think I need to go back home and, you know, Try something out, and she still had a bit of her studies left. Um, so she was going to stay in Austria for six months, and I would come here, and then you know she'd meet me afterwards once her studies had finished. And um, yeah, sort of just came here. I kept on saying, "Look, you know, man, this is a big decision. I don't know if I can do it without some sort of guarantee of work or something like this." He was like, "Ah, oh, I can't really do that. It's not kind of how it works. Like you kind of just get here, and then you know." show people how you how you work and who you are and your ethics and stuff like this and then you know from there you should be you should be okay and i was like oh, okay this is pretty out on a whim here but all right so ended up um getting a, a reparation flight through qantas and did quarantine in the northern territory and then um came back to south australia just for a couple of weeks while the borders were still closed and and then basically, like, bought a car in a couple of weeks, and as soon as the borders opened, I was basically in the car, everything packed, the next day, driving to driving to Tasmania, and um, yeah, it was really, really quite funny because I just sort of rocked up, and Lachlan was staying at, at the house just next door to the farm, um, which is actually now the house that that I live in currently, and uh, I basically sort of any morning I would wake up and hear the the head farmer, which is Phil, who's now my business partner, um, would, I'd hear his car and I'd just sort of wander through the gate and be like, hey, can I help out today? <laughs> so, uh, this is Phil O'Donnell. So, Phil um, started the Gardener's Bay Farm from day one when it was just a, just a paddock. So, originally, the farm was designed to only supply to the Port Signet Cannery. So, the owners of the Port Signet Cannery, um, Paul and Michelle Gilding, also own the, the farm. And the idea was to have a sustainable food system within a, a restaurant. And farm, they had a closed loop with one another that was um, sustainable in its in its own in its own self. And um, at the time, Phil was uh, employed as the head market garden, so he was on a, on a casual casual wage, uh, or sorry, a permanent wage. Um, and then there was a few casual people that sort of stopped by. There's a, a girl Eva who worked with us for a while and then when I sort of came on board I did uh free work for a little bit and then you know the workload got a little bit more the cannery got a little bit more um busy and I ended up being able to get two days a week working on the farm and then I was working also two or three days a week at the restaurant as well just as a chef so it was handy to have that sort of skill set in my back pocket that I could do a little bit of both um so yeah, Phil had set it up from from day one, along with uh, Eva as well, helping with like all the fencing, because the the site itself had just been a, a paddock that um, the, the neighbor used to own, and he would run his his Clydesdales, his horses, on there. So it was um, quite a transformation from uh, from then to now in a, in a in a small amount of time, and yeah, now we're about we're two and a half two and a half acres half is the market garden which we rotate four blocks annually and the other half is, is an orchard that is um, is starting to produce quite a lot of quite a lot of fruits and berries and things like that which is quite good
1: moving from kitchen to the land has had its challenges but as James discovered there are many benefits too the
0: sort of the skills that you that you understand with just working with produce translates over to um, harvesting and in probably one of the biggest aspects especially that I was also working at the time at the Portsmouth Cannery um, with Lachlan and then the the chefs uh, after him as well it was great to be able to know exactly what the dishes were going to be and how they would be prepared to know how to harvest and when to harvest and also even sort of little byproduct things that you know usually Phil would either feed to the pigs or put in the compost it would be like oh did you know parsley root you can really make a good little cream with and he'd be like oh cool so we'd be able to you know harvest all the parsley and when it has to come out the ground we can also harvest all the parsley root and sometimes I'd write little post-it notes in the in the crates to, to the chefs and be all like, hey, I just harvested this for you, you know, uh, maybe you can use it for something like this or this or that. And, um, yeah, I think it was a really sort of valuable skill and um, being able to then translate that to the customers as well. Um, yeah, I think that was a really sort of invaluable skill to have.
1: The lifestyle change has had a profound impact on James.
0: I think for mental health one um it's definitely sort of the physical side of things is a little bit is a little bit more obviously there's um there's a lot more to do there's a lot more um yeah you know wheelbarrowing and and bigger sort of bigger sort of things like that but um the days themselves are shorter i don't work nights anymore um i have a daughter now as well um she's she's 19 months old so having that time to be able to spend with her you know i can i can wake up early and go to work and um as I mentioned before, I, I live right next door to the farm. So for me to be able to come home my lunch break and spend it, you know, with my wife and daughter, even if it's just, you know, half an hour sort of lunch break is is really, really sort of nice. So the the lifestyle change and the, the sort of mental aspect of it as well that I feel like in kitchens and especially in the fine dining scene, which is, which is pr- predominantly what I was doing, the mental anguish of that is is quite stressful, and you know you're always in your head. Like your prep list has to get done; it has everything has to be done by this time. Services now, you've got this amount of time. Then you've got to clean up. Then you've got to reset up, and you you know you go through this constant motion of the day. Whereas um, there's been times where. Phil has been sort of like, you know, zenned out. And I know we've got heaps to do. There's there's never nothing to do on a farm and there's always plenty to do, but it's it's much more of a gradual sort of thing. Like it's not like if we don't get this done today, you know, the chef's going to yell at you or the service has gone wrong or the dish won't be up. It's it's a little bit more like, oh, you know, we didn't plant the celery today. That's okay. We can definitely plant it tomorrow or even by the end of the week, you know, as long as it's in the ground by, you know, this sort of day, you can work on a, work on it a bit more. Zen.
1: Life on the land is both exhilarating and exhausting, but every day offers up new knowledge. Uh, at the moment, an average
0: day consists of a lot of harvesting, so this is definitely the season for us, which is which is great. We took over the farm as our own business in May after the Port Sydney cannery closed. So, um, we, as as a business, Phil and I, um, 50-50 partnership, and we lease the property now from from Paula and Michelle, and our sort of average date now is um, is harvesting, um, bed prepping, and flipping, and a lot of weeding. <laughs> The more that I do this, and especially with Phil, like Phil has um, so much knowledge. Like uh, I said, a quote once, and now it's been quoted a fair few times. But he's forgotten more about farming than than I even know. He's been he's been farming here in in southern Tasmania for you know 20, 25 years. He's um he's had his own market garden businesses. He's set he used to work and uh, at Fat Pig Farm, and he helped set up their their farm as well. He's um he's a man of so much knowledge and can. Has a way of sharing it with you just on a very calm and level that you can just absorb it so easily so um, for me, a typical day on the farm is learning, and I think um, one of the one of the main things that has sort of changed for me is where the food comes from is more about soil and soil health than about, um, you know, how much water you can pump into it or, or something like this, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, not just throw compost on there and then you're good to go. It's, um, there's a lot more within the soil that needs to change or, you know, we we do things in a regenerative sort of style. So the more we take out, which is essentially what we're doing, we're always taking something we need to put back in as much as we're taking out so we're always kind of leaving it as better than we took
1: for now local restaurants and the local community are the key markets for gardeners bay farm so
0: at the moment we're doing um two different two different modes we're doing restaurants and we're doing community veg boxes so we supply to probably, I think it's around eight eight restaurants around the Huon Valley, um, and then it's only two restaurants in Hobart. We don't make deliveries to Hobart just yet. Um, we only really drive as far as Huonville, which is probably about 20, 25 minutes away. Um, and then we do a few deliveries for Franklin, which then the um, restaurants we have in Jeeveston will come to Franklin at a sort of meetings, meeting restaurant, and they'll pick up their produce from there. And then our veg boxes we do um, each week as well. So we'll do... We have our veg boxes, which is uh, in four monthly or uh, four weekly sorry installments um, and people will pay the four weeks upfront and then for the next four weeks they'll get thirty dollars worth of vegetable boxes that they'll pick up from the farm and we we do probably around about 15 15 odd um, people of that each week which is which is quite nice and that's something that really stays within the community no one r- really is outside for further than Signan than away um, so everyone is is, is a quite close net to our to our area one of the most beneficial things and if we ever get any messages um, from any chefs via email or Instagram or anyone that you know is sort of seeing what that, what we're doing and, um, and they say oh you know is there can I get on the produce list can I get produce from you guys my always instant response is come to the farm come to the farm see what we're about um, have a little bit of a look because we're a little bit a little bit different in a sense to most traditional market gardens I think I think we're a bit more broader in our diversity of, of crops so we have a little bit Uh, it's hard to explain it's it's essentially a big home garden (laughs) we've got something we've got something all year round but that also means that we've got lower quantities of more things but um so whenever we have chefs uh, that want to come to the farm and see what we're about, it's absolutely great and it's hilarious because some some chefs will be like, "Oh my god, you've got you know these hazcaps berries, which is something that um, no one no one really knows about or, or has." There's um there's a company called Hazcaps of Oz, which is just down the road that introduced um hazcaps to to southern Tasmania and. Um, you know, Lachlan and Sophie almost um, now said, uh, "We're going to take all of them. Uh, we're coining those ones, and they'll they'll come." And sometimes I'll get um, messages from from chefs being like, "Oh, can you grow this one?" And they'll send us, and we'll find the the seed packets or something like this, and we'll go, "Yeah, for sure." Um, a good example is we, we grew some some Red King radishes for for Lachlan and Sophie as well, and um, they worked really really well and amazing. And then um, Masaki from Masaki Sushi uh, in Jeeveson he came down to check out some purple mustard because he wanted to make a a ferment from it and he just wanted to see the, the the sizes that we had at the time um and he walked past the the red king and he was so excited about them he was like oh my oh my god you've got these red kings they're my favorite do you reckon i could get some next week and we said oh not really they're sort of already sold we only did uh, three meters as a trial to see if they would to work for lachlan and sophie and then from uh masaki coming in and seeing those we're now like okay so these are something that is really popular these are something that um that both chefs would want so we're gonna we're gonna be planting more of them this season."
1: For now, local restaurants and the local community are the key markets for Gardner's Bay Farm? I
0: think for, for Phil and I, at the moment, we're we're still feeling out what is work going to be working for us, whether that be if we um, decide to go higher in the, the veg boxes and stay where we are with the restaurants or take on more restaurants and do deliveries to Hobart. Um, in the wintertime, we actually did a few workshops as well. Um, we did three over the course of about four months, um, which is something, uh, like I said, with Phil, Feels knowledge. Uh, it, it seems like a waste not to be able to share that. So, one of the the things that we want to try and do is get a bit more educational things involved within the farm. We've um, been accepted into the Sprout Producers Program for this year, which is an amazing opportunity for for the both of us for, for networking with other farmers around the state and being able to help us as a business try and grow to that to the to that next step, um, which both of us are, are really really excited about to to be a part of that program. And I feel like along the way we're sort of going to navigate towards where we feel it's working the best. I mean, hmm. um, th- we're neither of us are ever like, okay, this this works. Let's just stand still. There's always the. The next thing or the the next 1% that you want to sort of go or improve or do do that little bit more. We have a, a beautiful space um, that we call our HQ, which is a, a large, quite large renovated shed um, that for numerous, you know, the first couple of years just sat as the the lunchroom for three people, which was massive. And now we're, we're looking at, um, we've got um, insurances and things in place that we can have community events set there that, you know, people can come do potluck dinners or things of this nature if um, we could get grants. And potentially, maybe even get a commercial kitchen involved in there that we could we could do more classes of how to preserve your, your own food and and make things go longer, do ferments and things like this. Um, uh, how to break down your own animals? We you know we know chefs that uh, have quite extensive skills in butchery and and seafood and things like this that they can they could come and do their own sort of little workshops as well to sort of give people um, a better idea of how to process their own produce.
1: Living on the farm and having that connection with nature every day has reinvigorated James's zest for life.
0: Feeling on the farm um, is just, uh, it, it, it's beautiful. Like for me, I, I can look out my kitchen window or when I'm sitting having breakfast with my daughter and I can see what's happening and I can look over and, you know, I can see the damsons or I can see the, the Jerusalem artichoke flowers when they start popping up. Um, I can, you know, know when the chickens need to be moved and I can just lock them up at night and then we can move the chicken tractor in the morning. And I think um, most people think it's like, oh, the work-life balance doesn't sound so so good but to me this is uh, this is my life and that is it it is now something that i I could i could do forever (laughs) it's the general sense that i can grow this amazing produce um in this beautiful setting in this beautiful place of the world be able to share it with people still be connected with the the chefing world because it's not something that i you know that i resent or hate or you know shy shy away from anymore like it's still something that i that i thoroughly enjoy doing and cooking and stuff like this but um being on the other side and the, on the producer's side of things and is is for me a bit more sort of heartwarming i feel it's, it's hospitality in a different way. You're still, you're still yeah, it's, it's hard to explain.
1: Gardners Bay Farm is proof how transferring your skills within food can help create a very special connection with the local community. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of producers, farmers, makers, and growers, the true lifeblood of the food industry. Follow us on Instagram at producerspodcast or email us at producerspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au.